seeds of a revolution, the real Independence Day, why the Declaration of Independence makes America exceptional, the forgotten Americans, and eight lessons for 2019 from the Declaration of Independence. Man stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, my fellow freedom lovers. This, of course, is the show where you come for the accent, but you stay for the principles. And I want to thank you for joining me this week as we celebrate your Independence Day by doing a deep dive into the Declaration of Independence. And today, we're going to talk about the seeds of a revolution. Because your Declaration of Independence wasn't written by Thomas Jefferson just, you know, out of just pure shock and awe. This didn't just happen. This didn't just wake up and hey, hey, guess what? We don't like England. We want to be independent and we want to be free. There was a lot of events that led up to that amazing foundational document that your country is built on. And today I want to do the seeds of the revolution. And it's hard to pinpoint exactly when your revolution really started. You know, you can point to, you know, the early 1700s. You can say and accurately say, I believe that your revolution started the minute those colonists got onto the Mayflower because you were a different nation from them, the way the first settlers settled in America and how they acted, you know, from the first Thanksgiving, what they were trying to get away from. But for the purpose of this, we're going to say the revolution started on October 9th, 1651. And what happened on October 9th, 1651? Well, in England, in Parliament, there was a bill passed. And that bill was called the Navigation Act. And what that bill did was it effectively controlled all trade between Great Britain and all the colonies and the rest of the world. You see, Great Britain and the Parliament in Great Britain only really cared about Great Britain. That was what their job was. And basically what they said, this law said, was there is to be no trade with foreign nations. There is no trade whatsoever. That only trade that can happen within the colonies is run by British men on British ship and British fisheries. Obviously, this ticked a lot of people off because... You know, if you can not think in 2019, but if you can think of the 1600s, you know, it wasn't exactly easy to have communication with Britain. And it wasn't like there could be a discourse, a back and forth. You know, it's not like, hey, you passed this law in Great Britain today. Hey, I'm going to get onto Skype and phone you or have a chat with you and go, hey, this is why I'm really angry. So what would happen is all these laws would come months after they'd been passed, and all of a sudden they're told, hey, you can't do this. Well, why can't they? Well, the king and parliament have passed this new law. I'm not happy about this. Well, tell the king. You know, it's not like you could get on a plane and go to parliament and go, Mr. King, I'm not happy with this for one, two, three reasons. 
So a lot of these laws were passed, and it's why you had the, t- the phrase no taxation without representation. There was very little representation of the American colonies in English Parliament. So this control started to happen. All the period of time, there's a lot of unease, a lot of unhappiness, a lot of bad things happening. Now we fast forward to March 1733. There's still a lot of unhappiness, a lot of different things happening, but the revolution isn't really in full gear. Just a lot of people are unhappy about the, 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 the aspect of control run by Britain. And in March 1733, they passed another law and they increased the regulations on wool, on hats, and on molasses. Molasses was a big thing. They used to make rum with it. And what they did was they basically had competition. And what they wanted to do was to erase all their competition. So they put a tax of six pence per gallon on all non-English molasses. Because it was cheaper than the French West Indies. What this led to, if you can imagine, six pence back then in 1733 was a lot of money. Now, naturally, if you if you know anything about American history and you know about the early settlers, they were a very rebellious bunch. They just weren't, you know, the appeasement kind of guy. Oh, okay, there's a new tax. Oh, we'll follow the law. What they did was they rarely paid this tax. Oh, yeah, there's a new sixpence. I don't care. And what happened? Smuggling increased. And smuggling became rather rife in the colonies. You know, you even had this in the 1900s when you, you know, you had prohibition. You know, the great thing about the American people is when they don't like something, they're very clear in that they don't like it, but they won't comply with what someone else tells them they have to do. There's that great rebellious streak and it's been in your, in your people since your founding. Well, because of the situation in the 1730s and the 1740s, while it was hard to get communication back in you to tell the king you were unhappy, it was also very hard to enforce laws because they were all the way over there in England. So England passed all these laws, but they were very hard to enforce. Now fast forward to November 1st, 1765, and another law is passed in the English Parliament, and it's the Stamp Act. And basically what this says is that all printed materials, any printing that you do, it must be printed on stamped paper. And what that paper, how you paid for that paper was through British currency. And what the excuse for this act was by the British Parliament was, was you were to, this was basically to pay for the troops that were stationed in your nation. Because at this time there was the French and Indian War. And they claimed, the British claimed that, well, look, you know, the troops are there for your protection so that France doesn't invade you. Even though if you asked and you look about history and you talk about what the American colonists thought of today, they didn't fear much of the French invading America. They kind of said, we're all the way out here. We're, we're a million miles away from you. Not a million miles actual, but in, in 1730s, a million miles away from Great Britain. But it still passed the act. It was to pay for those troops. And this act led to the phrase no taxation with representation because they felt we don't want to pay this tax it's this is not our war we we're not very fearful of france invading us then what happens is there's a person called charles townshend and he passed a load of acts through parliament and he's the chancellor of the exchequer and he does not like the american colonies very much he's he sees you as this rebellious troublesome lot you know you just you need to you know we need to put you in your place you know you american people you you're only like a little speck to us we're the great british empire and you just need to be sit down and shut up and do what we say 
So he passes a load of acts, and the first one is on June 5th, 1767. And basically what it was, was the New York Assembly and the New York governor said they were told, you cannot pass any new laws. We are stopping you passing any laws to control your people until you follow the Quartering Act. And the Quartering Act was a law enforced by British um, British Parliament that said that what has to happen is you see, we have British troops over in your country, and they're there for your protection. They weren't, they were there to enforce the laws, but they're there for your protection. You gotta pay for their food. And not only have you gotta pay for their food, but you gotta pay to house those soldiers. And New York said, the hell we do, they're British troops, you can pay for them. The British people can pay for them. And they said, no, you're not, well, if you feel that way, you have no power. The New York Assembly has no power. That was the first one. Fast forward to June 26, 1767, and they start raising new taxes. They raise taxes on glass, on lead, on colors, and paper. But that wasn't the real, that was kind of like the, the, you know, if you see the intention of the act, you know, this is what the act says we're going to do, but there's an hidden intention. There's an ulterior motive to this plan. What this law did and why it was really, really bad was they created more customs officials. Because if I, if you remember correctly what I said to you about, you know, the start of this revolution, you lot were a rebellious lot. You didn't like the idea of, hey, you know what, we're going to pay more taxes, and you started to smuggle more. Well, what this new law in 1767 did was, it created more customs officials, but it gave them a lot more power to do what they wanted. They were had more power to enforce the laws, they had more power to punish smugglers. And what they also had, and if you start listening to this, listen to and understand what's in your constitution. There's a reason for it. People just didn't pick out the Bill of Rights and the Declaration of Independence just by chance. They lived this experience. What they had under this new law was what they called a general warrant. And the reason for the general warrant was that they could search private property. If they thought you were a smuggler, if they thought you weren't paying taxes, they could just say, hey, we need a general warrant. You know, so-and-so, Joe Bloggs over there, I think he's a smuggler. He's a, he's a, he's a troublemaker. So they had general power just to go, hey, we think you're a smuggler. Here's a general warrant. We're going to search your private property. If you need help with this, this is what kind of led to the Fourth Amendment, to be secure in your persons and your papers. Now, fast forward to June 29th, 1767, and you had the Indemnity Act. And what this is, is basically a law that says no new taxes on a certain product. Now, this is a bit harder to explain, but bear with me. Over back at that period of time, England was the Great British Empire. The sun never set on the English Empire. And there was a company called the British East India Tea Company. And it was the the cash cow of the English taxpayers. It created so many money. It created taxes. It created jobs. Because what they would do is they would take tea from the the British East India Company, they would import it into England, you know, mix it up, change it, repackage it, and then ship it out to the colonies, and the colonists would have to pay for it. Now, if you think about the logistics of that, it's it's adding expense. You know, it wasn't easy to ship things from the East India Company to England and then on to, you know, for colonies like America. So other companies could do things cheaper. And one of those was Dutch tea. 
And because there's a lot of bad blood between the English and the, the the American colonists at the time, the colonists started buying the Dutch tea. One kind of, I believe, to stick it to the English person going, hey, we don't need your tea. You know, screw you, kind of. But also, it was cheaper. So what they did was pass this law that basically said no new tax, which basically made the English tea cheaper. And then, of course, the colonists, you know, bought, had to buy the English tea because they weren't going to pay for more expensive Dutch tea. Same day, June 29th, 1767, another law passes. You have the Commissioners of Custom Act. And this is linked to the act we just spoke. And what they did was they spoke about new customs boards. They appointed Boston. Massachusetts was a big hotbed. You know, if you think of the Boston Tea Party, the Boston Massacre. Boston, Massachusetts and Massachusetts was a really rebellious state. They they really had issues with the king. They really had issues with the Redcoats. And they appointed five new commissioners. And then eventually they went to new ports. And what they had to do was they had to enforce regulations. They had more powers. But they also had a job of increasing revenue. Because around this time, England was involved in different wars. And it was becoming very costly for the, the British Parliament, the British King. Because, you know, kings are not just, you know, how should we say this nicely? They're not men of the people. Monarchs are not, you know, they don't live the commoner lifestyle. They live a, a lifestyle that's a bit more luxurious. And if, you know, if you ever want to annoy the king, you know, start affecting their lifestyle. If they can't have the same food and the same, you know, standard of travel and, and you know, the same servitude and the same standard of living, that will really take a king or a queen off. It's always worked through history. So they had to increase revenue. And what happened was there was a lot of uncertainty and a lot of angst and a lot more anger. You can start seeing this anger brewing among the colonists. They're not happy. They're, you're passing all these laws. You're taxing us. You're, you're been a tyrant. The king has been a tyrant. And this unease, and especially in Massachusetts, leads to a lot of things that we, you know, became famous. The Boston Massacre. You know, John Adams, where they fired into a crowd. There's that angst, there's that anger, there's a lot of, you know, back and forth events. It also led to the Boston Tea Party in 1773, where, you know, there's a lot of anger, and basically they raid the ship, and there's 342 chests of tea, and they throw it all overboard. You know, if you see the pictures, you can read all about this. Well, fast forward a year, and now Charles Townshend is dead. So, But there's still laws been passed that are just really trying to stick it to the man. And on July 6th, 1768, they passed the Vice Admiralty Court Act. And this set up three new courts. It set one up in Boston, it set one up in Philadelphia, and it set up one up in Charlestown. And basically what they're really trying to do is really stick it to the colonists, to really put you in your place. What they're trying to do is they can, the British Parliament, the British King can see, you know, you're not taking the hints, you know, in British, American people, you're supposed to sit down and lay down. I'm your King, dumbass. Just sit down and shut up. But the American people weren't doing this, so they had to put you in your place, and they're passing all these laws just to get you to comply, just to to get you to, you know, submit to my will. And one of the things they did was they incentivized the Crown to find people guilty. So if the Crown brought said, hey, you're a smuggler, they would bring a fine to you. Well, 5% of the, the fee or the fine that you had to pay went to the Crown. So there's an incentive for me to find you guilty. You start seeing things like, you remember, you know, principles that we'd later talk about. You're innocent until proven guilty. Well, the crown had an incentive to prove you guilty before you're innocent. 
There was also, the decision was not made by a jury. It was made by the Crown, who had that incentive of, hey, if I find you innocent, you know, I only get a fee. If I find you guilty, I get 5% of your fine. So there's no trial by jury. There's other aspects of this law which make it, it's, if you're found that, hey, we have this accusation against you, we think you're a smuggler, you're, you've avoided paying tax, we would bring you and say you have to appear at this court. If you had to appear in court to, to answer your, the crime, you had to pay to get there. And sometimes they weren't close. Again, bear in mind, this might not seem like a big deal in 2019. Hey, I've got to get to the local court. Big deal. In 1700s, it's a very big deal. If, if that court is like 20 miles away from you, it's a lot of expense to get there. And it's not like, hey, I'll get a cab or I'll get an Uber or a Lyft or I'll jump on the subway. It's horse and carriage. But here's the other aspect of it. If you did not show up to your court appearance at that time, you were automatically assumed guilty. They did not have to make a case against you. No evidence was presented. You're guilty by no-show. Guilty by association. This idea that you are not innocent until proven guilty. You're guilty if you do not show up. This started all the ball rolling towards a revolution. Now fast forward to 1774. And the most important thing to remember about the the start of the American Revolution is when the American Revolution started, they were not fighting to be an independent state, to be an independent country, to be the United States that we think about. All they wanted is this uprising could have been quelled and we would live in a very different world if the king had simply done one thing. Listened. If the king had listened to what the colonists were saying and had actually played ball and had allowed them representation in parliament and had not been a tyrant, the world would be incredibly different. We spoke about this on a show. Why do I not want things to be easy in this world? Because if things were easy and no bad things happened, you would not have the good things that we have today. If we did not have a tyrant in king in the King of England back then, you would not have America. You would not have the world that we live in today. That is a simple fact. Look how much you've changed the world. So 1774, Massachusetts are getting really screwed by all these new laws. There's a lot of angst there. The people are unhappy. Like John Adams are really annoyed. So what happens? They set up the Continental Congress. They lead set up the Continental Army, which George Washington would later take charge of. And they set up this Congress to coordinate the resistance to Britain. Then fast forward a couple of months. April 19th, 1775. And what we would all call today the shot that's heard around the world at Lexington and Concord. See, what happened back then was Massachusetts is a real rebellious state. There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of resentment. They just don't like the king. And what happened was they started arming themselves and they had a barracks at Lexington and Concord where there's a lot of troops, there's a lot of ammunition. And the British said, you know what, we need to get them. We need to put them in their place. They will comply with the king. So they sent 700 troops with the ambition and the aim to capture, but also to destroy any militaries, the supplies they found to stop this rebellion. That, you know, we're the great British Empire. We're the Redcoats. We have the most trained army out there. We are good at war. We have lots of experience. Those colonists, they're just a bunch of hicks, a bunch of farmers. If we just squash this before it even gets started, we'll win. Well, what happens? People like Paul Revere, people like Samuel Prescott, 
with their infrastructure of, hey, spying and finding out intel, knew this was coming. The people at Lexington and Concord knew that these 700 troops are coming. And it started the battle that we would later call the War of Independence. This is what started the American Revolution. Tomorrow, we will talk about 1776 and Thomas Jefferson talking about the Declaration of Independence. I ask you to join me as we will release another episode tomorrow, 12 noon Eastern. Remember, please share this with your family, your friends. This is not about this show. This is about getting a message out there. So when you celebrate Independence Day this week, you know exactly what you're celebrating. It's free. There's no adverts. It's on all major platforms. We're on Apple, iTunes. We're on SoundCloud. We're on iHeartRadio. We're on iTunes. We're on Spotify. We're on OmniFM. We're on CastBox. You name it, we're, we're there. We're on Google Play Music as well. Please share these shows. And remember, a new podcast is released every Saturday at 12 noon Eastern, where we discuss the news of the day, not from a political side, but from a principal side. So please subscribe. And if you listen on iTunes, please leave a rating and review. And tune in tomorrow, Tuesday, as we talk about the Declaration of Independence and Thomas Jefferson's great words. birthday to you happy birthday to you happy birthday dear america happy birthday to you now in case you're wondering what have i just tuned into you know, if I had a producer in my ear, the producer would be saying, John, they, they come for the accent, not for the singing, because that sucked. And in case you're wondering, but John, it's Tuesday. It's July 2nd. Why are you singing happy birthday? Because if you read your history and you read enough about your founding fathers, you would actually know that today, according to some, including John Adams, Today is actually Independence Day, so yay! Happy Independence Day! What do I mean by this? Well, yesterday we finished up on our special for the Declaration of Independence where we laid the seeds of your foundation. We laid the seeds of revolution, of why there was a lot of angst, a lot of anger, a lot of upset about what the way the British were treating you. And today we actually start talking about the Declaration of Independence because everyone will celebrate it on July 4th. But July 2nd arguably is the day we all should be celebrating. Why do I say that? Because July 2nd in Philadelphia, 12 of the 13 states, New York was the one who didn't vote. They abstained because the people there did not have permission to vote, voted to be independent from Great Britain. If you read a letter, there's a great letter if you want to Google it. It's John Adams writing a letter to his wife, Abigail. And he actually made a prediction that July 2nd would be the day that they'd celebrate. And I quote from his letter, The second day of July 1776 will be the most memorable epoch in the history of America. America. 
I am apt to believe that it will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the great anniversary festival. It ought to be commemorated as the day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. It ought to be sodomized by pomp and parade with shrews, games, sports, guns, bells, bonfires and illuminations from one end of this continent to the other from this time forward forevermore. You see, it was actually the July 2nd that you declared your independence. The reason you celebrate July 4th was because what happened was, prior to July 2nd, there was a team of five men put together. Thomas Jefferson, Ben Franklin, John Adams, Robert Livingston, and Roger Roger Sherman. And they were all put together as a group to write the Declaration of Independence. But for many different reasons, the large chunk of the Declaration of Independence was written by Thomas Jefferson. He was seen as a great writer, as more talented maybe than the others. He had written the Virginia Constitution, for example. So it was largely Jefferson's pen that wrote a large chunk of what you read in the Declaration of Independence. So they fast forward to July 2nd, they all come together and they vote to be independent, to to set up this charter of liberties. It was July 4th, after they had voted to, you know, declare their independence from Britain, that the final text was approved because there was a lot in there that they did not want to put in. One of them was the right of where they talk about the, the king been, you know, forcing the slave trade and slavery been bad. They actually took out quite a few words. They reduced it by a quarter. So on July 4th was the final text when it was approved. It wasn't signed though till August 2nd. If you want to look at some of the sources that went into the Declaration of Independence, you'll find them in the Virginia Constitution, which was obviously written by Thomas Jefferson, the Virginia Declaration of Rights, which is written by George Mason. There's also words from John Locke in there, and there's obviously obviously heavily scriptural tones in there as well. But here's the thing that you need to know that I believe it's it's critical. You see, I believe your founding fathers were different to a lot of other people. I believe the Declaration of Independence is what makes you exceptional from day one. It puts you on a different course. Because I want to prove to you today where I get this opinion from, to hopefully that you will share it with me. You see, the idea of the American Revolution was different. If you just think of, hey, we're in America, we had this revolution, we're automatically exceptional, I'd ask you, how does that make you exceptional? The fact you had a revolution? Well, if you listen and you read enough of history, and this is obviously a very hard number to prove because history books aren't always the most consistent, especially far back in time, but there have been at least 645 revolutions in the history of the world. The first revolution that we can find, or that I can find through my research, went all the way back to 2730 BC of the Second Dynasty of Egypt. Now, maybe there was a revolution before that, but just history hasn't accounted for it. There's 645 revolutions in the history of the world. In fact, there's quite a lot of them going on over the last few years. You know, you look at the likes of Sudan, you look at Syria, you look at Lebanon, you look at Kurdistan, you look at Turkey, you look at Tunisia, you look at Niger, you look at Iraq, you look at Libya, you look at Ukraine, you look at Venezuela. 
There's 12 revolutions right now that have happened in the last couple of years. They obviously have different tones and they're against different things. And, you know, some are more violent than others. But, you know, they all meet by some broad definition of revolution. So why was America's revolution different? Well, I'm going to do my best over the next few minutes to prove it to you. You see, for me, it's all about the Declaration of Independence. Because the Declaration of Independence does certain things that no other revolution spoke about. You know, if you look at maybe like the Irish Revolution, where it was against Britain as well. The Irish Revolution was about home rule. It wasn't about freedom or liberty and tyranny. It was the fact that they said, you know what? We as Irish people do not want to be ruled by British person. This idea that, hey, you're British and you're, I'm Irish, the fact you think that you have anything in common with me and therefore can tell me what to do is wrong. I want to be ruled by an Irish person. If you look at the revolution and you read some of the Declaration of Independence from other countries around the world, you'll find certain tones in them that it's heavily mentioned, hey, we have this oppressor, this tyrant, this dictator of this country or this person within our country, and we want to be free from them. And the whole conflict is about freedom from that person or from that country. If you read the Declaration of Independence, let me give you some facts about the Declaration of Independence. The Declaration of Independence from the start to the finish without the signatures is 1,338 words long. You have to get to word 357 before you even find one issue with the king. The One of the reasons I have always admired, and I think it is a very American thing, and it's sadly become a, you know, hasn't become common in modern day politics. But one of the reasons I first fell in love with the Declaration of Independence was your founding fathers, before they said what they were against, they said what they were for. You know, in a world today where there's study after study after study where people will go onto websites and read news and what they'll do is they'll read the title and go, hey, I want to click on that. And then they'll read the opening paragraph. If you're lucky, the second paragraph and go well, all the way down to the end to the conclusion and we'll leave out the middle part. If the people followed that sort of logic and that way of thinking and that way of reading, you'd miss everything that they had issues with the king. You wouldn't read the the 27 issues with the king. All you'd read is what you are for and what you're going to do to fix it. Your founding fathers laid out before they had issues, and they had a lot of issues with the king. Yesterday, we discussed some of them, some of the more famous battles that you had with them. But your founding father said, you know what we're going to do? We are going to say exactly what we are for. You see this with all men being created equal. You see this with that you have certain rights from your creator. You see this from you have a right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You see, the reason I believe your revolution and your declaration of independence puts you on a course to be exceptional, to put you on a course to be unique from every other nation was because the who was the revolution against? Let me read you something that John Adams once said. What do we mean by the revolution? The war? That was no part of the revolution. It was only an effect and a consequence of it. The revolution was in the hearts and minds of people before a drop of blood was shed. You see, one of the reasons your founding fathers were exceptional was because you had such a long list of issues with the king. 
But you also had, because your system of government, because your founding fathers came from the settlers, a different way of life. You had people who escaped Britain in the 1600s, who went on the Mayflower, who were escaping religious persecution, who were running away from that type of tyranny. And your pulpit was absolutely key. Your pulpit was on fire. Your pulpit was on fire talking about principles. How do I know this is true? Your Declaration of Independence. Think of how much courage and how much confidence it would have taken anyone to write this. We hold these truths to be self-evident. Who would have the confidence to say something today and be accurate that these are what we hold say self-evident today? Honest question, what do we hold self-evident today? Do we even hold that all men are created equal today? Look at what you see in your politics from both sides. Who talks about all men being created equal? Or is one set of people better and more noble than the other? Who talks about life being a precious gift? That everyone has a right to life? Who has the right to liberty? Or is it all about, hey, guess what? My side can do a certain amount of tyranny and your side is bad for doing it. The American Revolution was fought in hearts and minds before the Declaration of Independence was even fought because they spoke about principles. Your pulpit was on fire. You want another proof that I know your revolution was different? Because if you read the Declaration of Independence, you will read 1,338 words. You will find king once, prince once, and British twice. But you will find references to a higher power four times. You see, it wasn't just against the British. Even if you read the the word I can never say, the usurpations against the king. Yeah, I know I butcher. I'm I'm just I'm a butcher of words. He never speaks about the king. It's he has refused his assent to laws. He has forbidden his governors to pass laws. He has refused to pass other laws for the accommodation of larger districts of people. It's all about he. Now, is it possible to say they just didn't want to put king in all the time? Sure. But if you read the layout of the document, it's pretty clear to me as someone who's reading it that it wasn't against the king. It was against anyone doing these, that anyone having these issues, anyone acting this way is acting like a tyrant and should be stopped. Your declaration of independence wasn't a declaration of war. It wasn't a revolution of, hey, it's the American colonists versus the British Redcoats or the Hessians or the great British people. It was a revolution where it changed man relationship with man and man's relationship with government. That is why your revolution was unique. Because your founding fathers spoke about what they were for. I'll also give you an interesting fact for you to share. Remember earlier on I said there was a five-man committee set up to write the Declaration of Independence? Thomas Jefferson, Ben Franklin, John Adams, Robert Livingston, and Roger Sherman? To show you how much uncertainty there was, there was still a large, even at the writing of the Declaration of Independence, there was still a large chunk of people who weren't comfortable declaring their independence from Britain. They didn't feel it was time. They said they still wanted to, you know, negotiate. If we can just get their attention, we don't want to be independent. We want to be part of Britain, but we just want better treatment. 
Well, one of the people in that group, Robert Livingston, did not sign the Declaration of Independence. There was a great angst at the time, but the Founding Fathers still pursued on. And my God, how thankful we all should be that they charted that course. That they charted a course which led a long period of time in 1787 to the Constitution. And then 1791 to the Bill of Rights. You do not have the Constitution. You do not have the Bill of Rights without the Declaration of Independence. Because if you read all those three documents, you will see a current tone through all of them. That is why you are not an exceptional nation without the Declaration of Independence. If you have a different opinion, hey, find me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Freedom Disciple. I'm on Facebook, Jonathan Dunn 58 Let me know. But this is the foundational stone. This is the cornerstone your nation is built on. It wasn't about the British. It wasn't about some war. It was about declaring your independence, man's relationship with man, and man's relationship with government, and man's relationship with a creator, that we all have these rights. That is one of the reasons, many, many reasons, you are an exceptional nation. Tomorrow, we are going to discuss the actual principles that your founding father said you were for. We're going to discuss them and say, where do you see these today? Because I believe, and this is one of the reasons I'm doing this serial, I believe that we need to start looking back. I believe we need to start looking back to the foundations. Why was America exceptional? Why was America unique? And I believe I have a large role to play in that because I'm an outsider looking in. I'm not some American going, hey, 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 this is why we're great. <laughs> no, I'm an outsider looking. This is why you're exceptional. This is why I love you. This is why you've inspired me. And then by looking back, we can look forward to a brighter and more prosperous tomorrow. Because until we get those principles in check, until we get those values back, I don't see how this world can survive or can prosper. I think there's a reason you're seeing tyranny grow around the world. You're seeing it in China. You're seeing it in Russia. You're seeing it in Iran. You're seeing it in the Middle East. You're seeing tyranny become more brazen, become more popular. Their only answer in my book, and again, I might be wrong. This is just one man's opinion. But the only way we solve this is through nature's law and nature's God. And we're going to discuss that tomorrow at 12 noon Eastern. Please subscribe. We're on every major platform. It's free. It's ad-free. It's commercial-free. We're on SoundCloud. We're on iTunes. We're on iHeartRadio. We're on Google Play. We're on OmniFN. We're on Spotify. We're on CastBox. You name it, where you can search for podcasts. Look for Freedom's Disciple. Subscribe. If you listen on iTunes, leave us a rating and review. And we'll be back tomorrow, Wednesday at 12 noon Eastern, with Nature's Law and Nature's God. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with one another, and to assume the powers of the earth, the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. 
that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and that the securities rights governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it, and to institute new governments, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Prudence indeed will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes, and accordingly all experience hath shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms by to which they are accustomed, when a long train of abuses and usurpations, pursuing invariably the same object, invinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for future security. Today I want to talk to you about why your founding fathers were exceptional. I just read the first 200-odd words of your Declaration of Independence. And in that 200 words, there is more things to talk about than in whole books. You see, I want to talk to you today about what we hold self-evident. What principles are self-evident today? And I know it's easy for my friends on both sides of the aisle who listen to this show to go, well, you know, what do you want from the Democrats, John? They're just a bunch of socialists and commies and progressives. And it's so easy for my friends not to look inwardly, but to look outwardly and look at my friends on the right going, what do you want from the right? They're just all a bunch of Donald Trump, Nazi-loving white supremacists. This is where we are right now. I have friends on both sides of the aisle. What truths do we hold to be self-evident? Think about that for a few minutes today. What do we hold self-evident? Because one of the many reasons your founding fathers were exceptional was because in the opening paragraph, they talk about the laws of nature and of nature's God. You see, there are many reasons why America is exceptional, why you're different and when I say exceptional, I don't, I don't always mean exceptional in a good term. I mean exceptional in that you're the only one who ever spoke about these things. Your founding fathers could have just went, you know what? Hey, the king of England, he's a tyrant. We don't like him. We want him out. You didn't do that. Your founding fathers, one of the things that annoys me so much, and this happens on all sides of the aisle. I have liberal friends, I have Republican friends, I have libertarian friends who go, ah, look, they're just a bunch of slave owners. They weren't that great. You know, history has made them out to be giants. They were just mere mortals. I'm not saying they were perfect. I'm not saying they were giants. What I am saying, though, is... It was an act of God that your founders came together, that all the egos, all the BS came, and out of imperfect men came an amazingly perfect document that came an amazingly different revolution, that you spoke about the laws of nature. Because up until then, and every nation since then has spoken not about the laws of nature, nature's God, but the law of man. If you want to understand the fundamental difference between both, the law of man changes. The law of man is a populist competition. 
It's, hey, who can get the most votes? And ever who says gets the most votes wins. And that becomes the popular opinion. And then they get to rule. Your founding father said, no, 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 no. It's not about populism. It's not about popularity. It's about what is naturally true. What does nature's law say? What does nature's God say? And by the way, one of the reasons why your founding fathers were amazing was because they understood how things could be taken and put against them. One of the things that they founded was if you read all your founding documents, it's clear that it's inspired by the Bible. They speak about divine providence. You look at the the words that are in the Declaration of Independence and in the Constitution. You will see current tones and they sound very eerily similar to what is in the Bible. But they didn't set up the Christian God. They didn't say, hey, we are a Christian nation to a Christian God. No, they spoke about nature's law and nature's God. They didn't. It was a country for all. It was the most inclusive country that you could find. You want to talk about real equality and real inclusion? Your founding fathers are it. Because nature's law and nature's God, it could be anybody. It could be the Christian God to me because I'm a Christian. It could be the Jewish God even though it's the same God to a Jew. It could be Allah to a Muslim. It could be something to a deist. It could be the Buddha to Buddhists. Or heck, you could just be someone who just believes, hey, I have a bottle of water here and I believe it's my creator. Okay, cool. That's cool. It doesn't, the discussion isn't about who your creator is or identifying your creator. It's saying that there is a higher power and there's a higher power for everyone, regardless of what your fate says. But what truths do we hold to be self-evident that are same for everyone? They spoke in the Declaration of Independence. They mentioned three, but I want to speak about four. They speak about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Look around today and ask yourself, is life a right from God? Is it treated in a positive light? Now, naturally, some of my friends will automatically go, no, well, it's the other side. They're abortion. Look at how they treat babies. For the rest of this show, I want you not to think about your the other side. That's so easy. Look at your founding fathers and what they did. They could have looked at the other side. They could have looked at the king and written a lot about him of how bad he was. But they looked inwardly. They looked at the greats. They didn't. They focused on something bigger. They focused on nature's law. Is life precious today? Do we treat it as something precious? Yes, abortion is, I believe, hor- horrific. What we do to babies, the most vulnerable in our society, is wrong. And it's wrong on both sides of the aisle. While one openly does say, hey, yeah, you have this right to do it, the other funds it. I'm sick and tired of Republicans going, well, all the Democrats, oh my God, oh, oh." yeah, and yeah, you're funding it. You had control of government and you did nothing. It's not about sides. This is about principles. But life goes so much further because so much it's easy to wrap how we treat life in abortion. Look at how we treat life. Is life precious? Do we actually appreciate life? Or do we demean it at every opportunity? Do we look down on on every opportunity? I'm going to use some examples which are popular. And I don't want you to focus on the sides, but just think of a society in America and around the world, is life precious? Look at race. Do we look at everyone and kind of go, hey, I don't care what color you are. 
I don't care whether you're white, black. You could be the color of the freaking rainbow for all I care. I'm going to treat you equally. I'm going to judge you on the content of your character. Or do we look at people who with a certain attitude when it comes to race? Of, well, you're good and you're bad. Do we look at people a certain way when it comes to politics? Hey, you voted for a certain person. Do we dehumanize people who vote differently? There is one question. I'm, life always becomes about abortion and death. But do we celebrate life and all its causes? You're now about to approach 2020. Can you understand why someone would vote for a Democrat? Can you understand why someone would vote for Donald Trump? Can you understand why someone might vote third party? And I said the key word there is understand. I didn't say agree. I, I, I have friends on all sides of the aisle. I have nothing in common with Democrats. I have nothing in common with Republicans pretty much as well, especially in 2020. I'm not on any side, but I have many friends on all sides. I'll go, Hey, I've got to stop Donald Trump. Okay. I can understand that. I don't agree with it. I don't think he's Hitler. I don't think he's a, a white supremacist, but I'm not a big fan. Hey, can you understand why I got to vote for Donald Trump? Sure. I'm not going to dehumanize anyone. It's a vote. Can I understand how you don't have the right background? Well, you don't come from the right education. You don't come from the right city. How many times do city folk look down on, you know, Southerners as, oh, you're just a bunch of hicks? Uh Uh-huh. Do we celebrate life in all its forms? All of different backgrounds? You want an example of how you don't even do this on your job today? Mike Rowe, and I don't want to make this about politics or just a small point here. Mike Rowe. Mike Rowe is a great guy who I've never met, but does one great thing I love. He gives free money to go get a trade, to go get, because there's so many jobs in America. How many people look down on trades in America? Oh, what? You, You clean sewers? Oh, my God, what? You know, Walmart wasn't available to you? Or you're a welder. Oh, well, you must be stupid because, hey, clearly you have to be done to weld two pieces of metal together. You couldn't get into college, you know, better yourself. Hey, oh, you work in an oil rig. Oh, well, you know, you must be dumb. Or, you know, what? want to know a prime example of something we can't do without but everyone look down on? Truckers. Oh, what? You, you couldn't do anything better? You could just, all you could do is, I'm only smart enough to drive a truck. Yeah, and you know what? Without them... We die. Without truckers, we die. Because who gets food from point A to point B? A trucker. Are you going to do that job? You with your Harvard education who looks down on people? And I'm not looking down on people from Harvard. If you want to go be to the best school, and if you think that's Harvard or Oxford or ever what it is today, Princeton, if you want to have the top degree in law and in sciences, cool. I'm not looking down on you. I say go for it. But if you want to be a trucker, be the best trucker you can be. Martin Luther King, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. I subscribe to his idea of if you want to be a street sweeper, then you be the best street sweeper there is. How many times do we do that to people today? Do or do we dehumanize people? You don't come from the right political party. You don't vote the right way. You don't have the right sexuality. You don't have the right race. You don't have the right gender. You don't have the right education. You don't have the right job. You're not from the right class. You're not from the right part of town. Do we celebrate life in all its forms today? Or do we only celebrate the life that we agree with? Which leads me to liberty. Do we actually celebrate liberty today? 
Do we celebrate people's want to be different? To, to pursue their happiness? Because liberty and pursuit of happiness is the exact same. Or do we look down on people? Do we say you can do anything? Look at the federal government. Look at the government today of what you had. Your founding fathers, yes, I know we're talking about the Declaration of Independence, but it's important to point out. When your founding fathers set up the Constitution in 1787, there's 18 clauses in Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution. That is what the federal government can do. Everything else is left to the states. Can you tell me 18 things the federal government is not involved in? Can you tell me both sides do this? Things that the government will never tell you what to do? Do you have a right to liberty? And is your right been protected? Look at what they do. Speech has now been controlled. Your right to defend yourself has been controlled. Your right to privacy has now been controlled. Heck, due process doesn't even exist anymore because in the court of public opinion, you're guilty until proven innocent. What aspect of rights and nature's law do we respect today? Do we respect people's pursuit of happiness? Because before there was a pursuit of happiness in your Declaration of Independence, it was not pursuit of happiness, it was property. And it was taken out for one reason. Because your founders were not, oh, they're evil slaveholders with wooden teeth. No, they actually took it out. They had property because they understood that property was key to having a free people. That they had property, that they had their own land, that they had their own houses, that they had their own business, that they were the master of their ship. But the sad thing about 1700s was that property was also considered people. That, hey, you're my property. Even though that goes against, it's obvious if you write all men are created equal. Who dares says, you know what? I'm a, I'm a slave owner. I'm a white supremacist. I want to have slaves. They're not the same as me. Who thinks that way and says, you know what, in the Declaration of Independence, here's a great line, all men are created equal. Well, guess what? They're counter, they don't go together. It's impossible to mix. If you have a system where you think, I can own you, then I can't all of a sudden say, it's totally consistent for me to say, I can own you, I can compel you what to do. But guess what? We're all equal. We're the same. Doesn't, how, 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 in, how does that work? It doesn't. Because you have a right to pursue your happiness. It's why America was different. You want to know why America is exceptional? Why you have created more things and helped create more things in 250 years than the rest of the world combined in the prior 1700? The pursuit of happiness and the right to property. Because you can do what you want. You didn't have this system over there where, you know, you had to have a certain job or, oh, you only came from a certain part of town. You'll never get a college education. There's no rags to riches stories, or not many around the world. In America, there's loads. There are a dime a dozen. We see them all the time of, hey, the good boy coming from poverty, doing good. The good girl coming all rising through the root, through the ranks. This idea that it doesn't matter all this bullcrap of your class, of your education, of where you come from, whether you're a single parent family, it doesn't matter. You have a God-given right to pursue your happiness. What frustrates me and what upsets me the most is, what are we teaching our kids? Are we teaching our kids, you can do anything. You can be the next Tom Brady. You can be the next A-Rod. You can be the next CC. So, yeah, I know they're Yankees and the Yankees suck. Yeah, get over. But are, are we teaching people? Are we teaching people to go be, the, I don't know, the next Elon Musk? 
Or are we teaching people that, you know what, yeah, it's, it's good to dream and it's good to, you know, want to do better, but you know what, let's, don't do too good. You know, if you become a millionaire and a billionaire, we'll hate you like that. If you become too big for your britches, we'll seek to tear you down. But also what made your founding fathers exceptional was they spoke about the role of government, which is different to every other government around the world. Your founding fathers said not once, but twice the role of government. It is the role of government to secure these rights. It's not the government's job to give you rights. All these people who, especially in Ireland, because we've had a couple of referendums recently. Hey, it's about the government's right. Hey, do you have a right to gay marriage? Hey, do you have a right to this? You have a right to that? And the government is the giver of rights. And we automatically go to the government going, hey, can we please have this right, Mr. Government? Can we, can we have this right, please, 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 please? No, it's not that government's job to give you rights. It's nature's laws to give you those rights. It is government's right to protect those rights and to ensure no one takes them away. Whether it's a Democrat, a Republican, a liberal, a conservative, a libertarian, it is government's job. They are instituted among men to protect those rights. But also what makes your founding fathers exceptional was because they understood why man is deeply flawed. And this is a lesson we can learn today. Everyone loves to talk about their rights. Everyone loves to talk about, hey, I have a right to bear arms. I have a right to the Second Amendment. Okay, I'm not disagreeing with you. I have my friends on the left going, I have a right to contraception. I have a right to an abortion. I have a right. I have a right. I have a right. I have a right to free healthcare, free college, free this, free that, blah, 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 blah. Everyone wants to speak about their rights. But no one wants to, when was the last time you heard anyone talk about their responsibilities? What are your responsibilities? Because your founding fathers knew man is inherently flawed and inherently selfish. Because they, he spoke about not rights, but responsibilities. Not once, but twice in the first 250 words of the Declaration of Independence. When they spoke about government. They didn't say, hey, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish their government and then just stop. Now they said, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it and to institute new government. That if you have to uh, alter or abolish your government, you don't just stop there. You don't just focus in on your rights. You focus in on your responsibilities to institute new government to protect those rights. And then a, a couple of words later, under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their security. They spoke about rights and responsibilities. How many politicians today on either side speak about your responsibilities to your man? Because nature's law and nature's God, it's the government's job to protect those people. But we also have a role as people to protect people's rights, to stand for them, even if it makes us uncomfortable. Voltaire once said, I may dislike and hate everything you say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it. How many times, especially in political climates, do you see strange bedfellows? Or do you see people reacting going, why are you standing with them? I know I get this a lot. Because I will stand for things I disagree with. I'll go, you have an absolute right to say that. And they're like, you're siding with the Democrats, John. I'm like, I'm not siding with anyone. I'm siding with a principle. How many people talk about responsibilities today? How many people on any side say, it's, hey, you know what? You're the master of your ship. You are the commander of your ship, the master of your fate. How many people talk about that? 
Or is it all about politicians going, hey, you need me. You need me to protect you. You need me in D.C. Because without me, my God, you don't want to have the other people. How many times do we have to go through this on both sides of the aisle? Read your Declaration of Independence, please. There is so much to learn on it. I would ask you just to think about this as we're gearing up to July 4th. And it's Independence Day. July 4th is just a date. You're gearing up to your Independence Day, to celebrating, to having burgers and hot dogs and beer. Think about what role your founders viewed for your government in the Declaration of Independence. And then have an honest look at both sides, at all sides in D.C. and kind of go, how much of it is consistent or how far have you traveled from what your founders' vision was? And is that a good thing or a bad thing? Because tomorrow we're going to talk about the forgotten Americans. We're going to talk about the forgotten Americans who have been seen to be whitewashed from history that no one ever remembers. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Please subscribe, listen on all major platforms or on iTunes, uh, SoundCloud, Stitcher FM, Omni FM, Castbox, Spotify, Google Play Music, you name it. We're there each and every day this week for Independence Day, but we're also there each Saturday at 12 noon Eastern. And if you listen on iTunes, leave us a rating and review. It helps the algorithm. And reach out to me on social media. Are you enjoying this special? Have you, you know, learned anything? Have you got an appreciation for your, for your country? Twitter, Freedom Disciple, uh, Jonathan Dunn 58 on Facebook. And I'll see you tomorrow for Independence Day and the Forgotten Americans. Governor Samuel Huntington, Honor Roger Sherman, William Williams, Oliver Walcott, Thomas McKean, George Reed, Caesar Rodney, Button Gunnett, Lyman Hall, George Walton, Charles Carroll, Samuel Chase, William Packer, Thomas Stone, John Adams, Governor Samuel Adams, Elbridge Thomas Jerry, John Hancock, Robert Payne, Joshua Bartlett, Matthew Thornton, William Whipple, Abraham Clark, John Hart, Francis Hopkinson, Richard Stockton, John Witherspoon, William Floyd, Francis Lewis, Philip Livingston, Lewis Morris, Joseph Hughes, William Hooper, John Penn, George Clymer, Benjamin Franklin, Robert Morris, John Morton, George Ross, Benjamin Rush, James Smith, George Taylor, James Wilson, William Ellery, Governor Stephen Hopkins, Thomas Hayward Jr., Thomas Lynch Jr., Arthur Middleton, Governor Edward, Edward Lutridge, Carter Braxton, Benjamin Harrison, Richard Henry Lee, 
Thomas Jefferson, Francis Lightfoot Lee, Thomas Nelson Jr., George Lythe, and Timothy Matlock. These are the brave people who risked everything to sign the Declaration of Independence. And in the case of Timothy Matlock, he was the scribe of the Declaration, who risked everything to sign the Declaration of Independence. In an era today where we are filled with politics, where it is clear there is only ever one motive, and that motive is to win. We are told that winning at all costs is pretty much everything that is important in our world. We are told that the other side cannot have power. How this election is the most important, the most critical election of all time. I'd ask you to take a step back today on Independence Day. And remember the 56 men who risked everything. Not to sign the Declaration of Independence, but in effect to sign their own death warrant. Because by signing the Declaration of Independence, it was an act of treason against the Almighty King. And treason is punishable by death. I would ask you just to think back, if you can, regardless of how much you know about history. And think of the day that they signed the Declaration of Independence. What did they think was their fate? What fate awaited them? What was going to happen? Because I can guarantee you, these men were not stupid. These men were educated. These men were the bourgeoisie, the rich, the greedy capitalist of the day. And if you could go back in time, if, if Marty McFly and Doc was true, and we could get in our DeLorean and go up to 88 miles per hour, and go all the way back to 1776, and if we could bring some truth serum with us, and we could get those 56 men and put truth serum, inject them with it, and ask them just one question. Do you think you can win? How many do you think would have say Yes. Because the reason I say we bring truth serum with us is because, of course, you have that emotional high. You've just signed the Declaration of Independence. Of course, everything's going to go right. The weather's going to go our right. The troops are going to go our way. General George Washington is awesome. Everything's going to go away. Of course, we're going to win. But that truth serum is key because that it doesn't allow for emotions. That doesn't allow for, you know, the adrenaline rush they had. Truth serum cuts through all that and says, do you really think you can win? Is there anyone who really thinks that you are guaranteed to win? Is there anyone within the sound of my voice who thinks, yes, when we signed that, we were always going to win? Really? You're going against the superpower of the day. The army that has so much training, so much experience. They have all the troops, have all the food, have all the weapons, have all the ships that they need to win. They're experienced. They fought many wars before. And all you are is a bunch of farmers. You're not well armed. You're not well trained. You're not well fed. 
In fact, so many of your troops didn't even have shoes. Didn't even have their own rifle. And yet you think you can beat the superpower of the day? Are you kidding me? You were going to lose big. On paper, it's a no contest. It's, you know what? It's like, don't even show up. Just, 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 just phone it in. Just say, yeah, actually, you know what? I'm sick that day. Call into work sick. I'm not doing it. On paper, you haven't got a chance in hell. It's a sure thing. If you're a bookies, you pay out early. You're, 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 if you're a bookie and you have some ethic and someone goes, Hey, I, I want to place a bet. Okay. What's your bet? I want to place $10 on America to win the revolutionary war. At some point, as a bookie, you got to go, I really want to take your money because I take bets on everything, but gee, I feel bad taking your $10 because you're never seeing this again. It's so bad. You're paying out early. Anyone who bet on the British, you're like, you know what? The war doesn't even have to be over. Here's your money. You win. Clearly. That's how lopsided this battle was. But I want to talk to you about the forgotten men. Because today, everything is about personalities. Everything is about personalities. It's about Trump, never Trump. It's about Joe Biden. It's about the GOP. It's about the Democrats. It's about the Tea Party. Look how far you've traveled. Everyone can name something from the Declaration of Independence. All men are created equal. When in the course of human events, we pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Many Americans can tell you how many people signed the Declaration of Independence. How many people can name somebody? Today, on this Independence Day, I started by naming the 56 men and women. Because it's important we remember their sacrifice. But I also want to talk to you about winning. Because I want to share a story about three signers of that Declaration of Independence. And as I'm sharing their stories, I would ask you just to think of one question as I'm sharing their stories. What does winning look like to them? Did they get to see and enjoy it? The first one I want to talk to you about is a man called John Hart. John Hart signed the Declaration of Independence on behalf of New Jersey. Now, John, like every other signer of the Declaration of Independence, signed it as a rich bourgeoisie landowner. He was a farmer who owned a lot of land. This guy, this family, is not struggling. John, like every other signer, had nothing to gain by signing this document and had everything to lose, not only his life, but his fortunes. John was a farmer. John signed the Declaration of Independence. And what happened? The troops took his farm. The troop take his farm. They threatened to execute him. And he has 12 kids. And he goes into hiding. Fast forward a couple of weeks and months. New York becomes a bit more safer because of the Revolutionary War. And in 1778, because he's a farmer, because he puts the country first, because he puts principles first, he's got some of his land back. And instead, during growing season, instead of planting and growing and getting ready for next year's crop, he doesn't do that. In fact, he lets 12,000 men, along with George Washington, stay on his land to allow them to rest and to prepare for the battle. The Battle of Monmouth, which happened on June 28th. 
Sadly, November 7th happens. He he returns home. And on the 9th of November, he's too ill. He, become, he gets ki- kidney stones or gravel. And he has to return home. And he continues his illness until May 11th, 1779. Where at age 66, he dies. 1779. The war isn't over. You haven't started to talk about the Constitution or the Bill of Rights. What does winning look like to John Hart? But that's just one story. Let me tell you the story of Francis Lewis. Because you see, Francis Lewis was another millionaire and billionaire who had everything to lose and nothing to gain. Francis Lewis, like John Hart, could have easily paid the taxes the king wanted. Could have played ball. Could have decided, you know what, look, I can, I can survive what this king is doing. I can survive and just go, you know what, I can, I can wait this out. I can pay the extra taxes because he was a trader on the mercantile exchange. He had employed so many people. He couldn't even tell you how many people he employed. He didn't know everyone. That's how big of a businessman and a big deal Francis Lewis was. Well, in Francis Lewis, in 1775, he made the mistake, the fatal mistake, of removing his family and effects to a country home he owned in Long Island. And when he signed the Declaration of Independence, and it got out, he signed it, well, it didn't really go very well for him, because in that autumn, his house was plundered by British troops. He had an extensive library and valuable papers of every description, the papers of the day taking account. They were all destroyed. Not only were the British troops, because they were so nice and awesome, were they content with just ruining his property, they decided to send a message. Because how dare you, British? How dare you, British men? You greedy colonists. You greedy businessmen. Why can't you just pay your fair share? We need to send the message to you. We need to squash you. And what we are going to do is we're going to send a message through the family of Francis Lewis. Because Mrs. Lewis fell into the power of the British troops. And she was retained as a prisoner for many months. During her her captivity, she was in close confinement. She did not even have a bed to lie on. She did not have change of clothes. And she wasn't given the proper food. She was treated horrifically. Her situation was so bad that by the time it became uh, known to Congress of her condition, there was a resolution passed because what happened was the Americans had taken a prisoner from the British side and they basically organized a swap. But sadly, because of the, the, the length of her suffering, the pain of her suffering, She died within a couple of years. What did winning look like to that Lewis family? Can you imagine the guilt, the pain, the anguish of Francis Lewis, knowing what, because you signed the Declaration of Independence, your wife went through that hell and then shortly after died. What type of guilt would you live with? What type of pain would you be able to live with that pain? Especially when you came from wealth. Especially when it would have been so easy. Why did you have to sign this document, Francis? Why couldn't you have just paid the tax? If you had just paid the tax, 
all this treatment upon me would never have happened. Just play the game. Yet he didn't. He risked it all. But that's not the last story I want to share. The last story I want to share with you is of a man called Richard Stockton. He was also from New Jersey. And Richard Stockton was highly, highly educated. In fact, he was an educated so well, he was a lawyer. He was on the New Jersey Supreme Court. Again, not someone who's poor. Someone who had everything to lose and nothing to gain by signing the Declaration of Independence. And what happened to him when he signed it? Again, the British invaded his home. On November 30th, 1776, he was captured in the dead of night. And he was dragged from his bed and marched in the freezing cold weather in nothing but breeches and a nightshirt. And he was turned over to the British and he was jailed. And eventually he was sent to prison in New York. Some of the treatment he had in New York, he spent most of his time locked in irons. He was starving. And because of the winter of 1776, 1777, if you read anything about it, it was really bad. It was really brutal. It was really harsh. He was sent to a prison in New York. To put in con- into context how bad this prison was, in the whole of the Revolutionary War, there was 4,435 casualties during the war. This prison in New York where he was sent to had over 12,000 men die. That is how bad the conditions were between the freezing, freezing cold, the the days spent in irons, the starving, the no food, lack of nutrition. Three three times the amount of people died there than in the whole Revolutionary War. Eventually it got out of the shocking and inhumane treatment and eventually he was released. He was so poor because of everything been taken up from him. His fortune was stolen that when he was removed and relieved from prison, he spent a lot of his life living off charity from his friends. This was a man who was rich. These are the men who signed the Declaration of Independence. What does winning look like for any of these? What does winning truly look like? But yet they did it anyway. There are many reasons why America's founding fathers were really exceptional men. And why your revolution was different. We've discussed it all this week. But one of the reasons you were different, if you read the French Revolution, if you read about revolutions throughout the world, they're always usually started by those in society who are really annoyed Shared that with America. Really frustrated. Shared that with America. Really angry at a tyrant. Shared that with America. But they also have one thing in common that separates them from America. They are usually the poorest in society. If you look around at like situations in Venezuela today, the people uprising are always, and I'm not using this in a dismissive way, but it's just a fact. They're always the people who have nothing to lose. They're at the lowest ebb of society. They're like, you know what? Screw it. We're going to try and get rid of this tyrant because we have nothing to lose and everything to gain. What? My life is miserable. What have I got to lose? What? You're going to put me in jail? Chances are maybe because of the situation 
that maybe my life in jail may be better than my current life. I may get more food, more nutrition. At least I might have a bed I won't live on the streets. These are some of the revolutions around the world and throughout history. It's usually by people who have nothing to lose and everything to gain. That they might have a brighter tomorrow. Your founding fathers were different. They had everything to lose. They had everything that would they you would want in society, whether it was power, whether it was influence, whether it was stature, whether it was money, whether it was land, whether it was business, whether it was people working for them. You name it, they had it. These 56 men were incredible men because they could have easily just played the game. They could have just said, you know what, look, we're just going to pay the taxes. We're going to comply with the king's rules because, hey, we're businessmen. We'll find a way to make money. I won't be affected. My workers may be. My fellow man may be. I won't be. I have everything I need to make sure I can live a comfortable life. They didn't. They came together and put their signature on the Declaration of Independence for a better tomorrow. Because deep down what they knew was it wasn't about me. It was about something bigger. It was about divine providence. It was about nature's law and nature's God. It was about doing the right thing. It wasn't about winning. It was about doing what was morally right. What they were responsible to do. That is why your founders are exceptional. They risked it all. To sign that declaration of independence. But they didn't just when they signed it off say. We pledge to each other our lives our fortunes and our sacred honor. That wasn't the pledge they made to just themselves. And to their fellow signers. And to people who lived then. They pledged it for us. They pledged their honor for us. And honor is sacred. Why do I know this is true? Because here we are 240 plus years later and an Irish man is talking to you about them. If truth be told, you should be telling me why your founders were exceptional. You should be sitting me down as, hey, listen, Irish boy, we're going to tell you why America is exceptional. But I'm the one telling you because so many people have forgotten it today. Your founding fathers were truly exceptional men. They made that pledge to that generation, but also to current generations. Today, as you celebrate Independence Day, you're with your family, with your friends, you're having a beer, you're having a hot dog, you're having a burger with cheese, you're maybe having some pizza, you're going to go watch some fireworks and wave some flags. I would ask you to think and remember those men about what they risked. And they would think of today and ask people, what are you risking? What are you willing to risk? And are you living that pledge that your founders started 240 years ago? Are you living it? Are you willing to make the same sacrifices? Are you willing to lose absolutely everything to gain a better tomorrow? I would ask you to share this on this Independence Day with your family and your friends. Also, please subscribe to whatever platform you're listening on. These shows are always free. They're ad-free. They're on every major platform. We're on SoundCloud, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spotify, OmniFM, CastBox, Google Play Music, wherever free podcasts are shared. Please subscribe. If you happen to listen on iTunes, leave us a rating and review. It helps new people find this show. Please share these shows with your family and your friends, especially the next generation. This is a deep dive into the Declaration of Independence. But also, I ask you this. Please consider remembering your founding fathers. There is a reason they're exceptional. 
It's about principles, not about people. And have a beautiful and blessed and peaceful Independence Day. thank each and every one of you who joined me this week as we did a deep dive into the Declaration of Independence and it's now Friday and Independence Day has come and gone you've had some beers, you've had some time with your family and your friends you've had some food, you've had some hopefully had some hot dogs and some pizza and some burgers, hopefully you saw some really cool fireworks and it's now Friday and what I want to do today for a few minutes with you is Okay, John, I love the Declaration of Independence. I love your passion for our history. But, you know, I've always been a forward-thinking guy or a girl. I really want to know what can I do. Well, here's some lessons that we can learn from the from the Declaration of Independence. And I have eight things I want to share with you that I really want to emphasize of how you can act going forward. And the first one is something that I, maybe as an outsider, see slightly different. You see, I see America as a country. I see it as a, as a piece of land and it's an amazing country. I see America as a, a collection of people, a collection of individual people coming together to make a better tomorrow by pursuing their happiness. That is the way a lot of people see America. But I see America slightly different. I see it as a country. I see it as a great people. I salute your people. I believe in the sentiments of the Tocqueville. America is great because Americans are good. But I also see America as an idea. As an idea that changed the world. Those ideals, that truths are self-evident, that all men are created equal, and that they are endowed by the Creator with certain rights. Those ideals mean something to me. They're true. Even if we don't agree on what ideals the ideals are, the idea of maybe you don't agree with free speech. Maybe you think that there are certain speech that should be curbed. Okay. But that you agree that there are certain things that are off limits, that they're never up for debate. They're never up for discussion. And that your right for these to these can never be taken away, regardless of who upholds power, whether it's a Republican, a Democrat, a Libertarian, a Conservative, a Tea Party, a Progressive, a Socialist, a Communist, whatever. They can never be taken away. And they can never be taken away from your political opponents. Because the one thing about freedom and about principles is it's always easy. Like, you know, when we talk about free speech as a perfect example in today's world. It's always easy to defend the speech that you're comfortable with. Well, I have no problem with you saying that. I have no problem with you saying that. It's easy to be for that because it's, it costs no political capital. And this happens on both sides of the aisle. The speech that you should protect, it's like the one that you're like, oh, should you say that? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, you should. I'll defend you. I may think you're wrong. I may think you're even an idiot. I may think you're an insensitive fill in the blank, a-hole, butthole, whatever word you want to use. I'm trying to keep this kid friendly. But use whatever word that is really strong. You're, you're the worst person. You have a right to say it. You don't have a right to say things that make people feel comfortable. The right is to say things that are uncomfortable. America is a set of ideals. 
America is with the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, and the Bill of Rights. It is a set of ideas. Are you living up to those ideas? Look at your Constitution and your Bill of Rights. It is violated on a daily basis by both sides. Is it time to actually look and kind of go, you know what? We don't want to follow the Constitution anymore. We don't want Article 2 to be limited. We want the President to have more power. Okay, well then, be honest, I'll just disagree with you. But are those ideals that your Founding Fathers risked absolutely everything for been followed? The second thing that we can learn, and every politician can learn this, and every media pundit can learn this if they actually wanted to work at their jobs, but they don't. They want to pick the easy way out. Because it's easier to say, you know what, hey, this is why they suck. One of the things that's amazed me, and I'm not very political anymore, but I used to be very involved in politics. I used to be involved trying to, you know, hey, this person's really good, this person's a constitutionalist, this person should be, you know, win. I gave up for many reasons because, one, the politicians that did win turned out to be different, but two, they lost a lot, and I was really bad at it. But one of the things that always amazed me about, about was about your politics is where you go to all the, your people in your area and outside your area, but, you know, you'd say, hey, I need money. And you'd get money, you know, directly to the campaign, or people would go and donate to a super PAC, which wasn't connected with the campaign, and say, hey, look, I need all this money. We need to run these adverts. And the people would give money to the politician. And then what did they do? They'd give all this money, and they'd run adverts talking about their opponent and why they were bad. Your Declaration of Independence, it took 357 words for them to name one bad thing they didn't like against the king. The first 356 words were, hey, this is what we're for. Can you imagine if you put that into context? Look at all the media people today. Oh, the Democrats are so bad. Oh, the Republicans are so bad. Why? And what happens is the whole thing just slides and continues sliding because there's no incentive to say what you're for because that actually requires work. That actually requires thinking, but also that requires you to hold your side accountable because if you start saying, hey, this is what we're for, then guess what? If your side violates it, you got to call out your own side and that doesn't make you popular. A prime example of this is Article 2. Who wants to call out their own side when it comes to Article 2 that the presidency has no power? Another example, the Fourth Amendment. Do you have a right to privacy? Well, guess what? Both sides say you don't. They both continue with these warrantless wiretaps. Both sides, Republicans and Democrats. Even when there's, there's, there's new litigation put forward, or not litigation, sorry, new laws been proposed in Congress. There was one a couple of weeks ago. Hey, get a warrant. Nah, no, nah, we don't want to have to do that. Do you have a right to privacy? Tell me what you're for, not what you're against. Lesson three. America was not about people. We have romanticized, and rightfully so, I believe, as someone who genuinely loves George Washington. I think he is the greatest man to ever live, apart from Jesus Christ. But I don't consider Jesus a man. I consider him divine. But literally, I think he is the greatest man who ever lived. Because not only did he leave power once, but twice. There's so many stories, and we've shared these over the many years during this show. I think your pers- your revolution was about principles. Again, and I can prove this by your culture, because so much of your founding father's influence is in your culture. It's about stories that you share. 
Everyone can quote a little line from the Declaration of Independence. All men are created equal when in the course of human events. Yet if you ask that person, name one person who signed the Declaration of Independence, they would maybe struggle. They might come up with Thomas Jefferson or or different, you know, one of the, the popular names. But would they know how many signed it? How many people signed it? 56. How many colonies were there? Different questions like this. Your prince, your part, your history is not about people. It was about principles. It was about nature's law and nature's God. Now look at it today. How many people can tell you about the opposition? Who can tell you who's running for president? How many people can tell you how many nominees there are for Democrat president? There's 20. How many people can name them? No, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, Cory Booker, Beto, the Irish guy with the Latino name. You know, they can name them. Now name the principles they're for. What are they for? Everyone wants to run against something. Even Donald Trump, and I agree with him when he says this, America will never be a socialist nation. Great. I I hope that never happens. But what will America be? Will you be for crony capitalism or will you be for free markets and principles? The next thing we can learn is, and we can look at this as we look through, especially for 2020, is the role of government. What are people proposing policies to do? Are they looking at government to be the saviour? To be the great white horse, to be the great equalizer in society, and to give people rights? Or are they going to be the people that your founding fathers wanted to protect your individual rights? That they understood government, where it happens, should be extremely limited. Are we going to look at government through the eyes of your founding fathers going forward and say, hey, you know what? Our, the federal government has certain powers, but everything else is up to the state. We believe in federalism. Or are you just going to continue on the path of man's law that, well, whatever the president says works, you know, and whatever Congress does, if they violate it, works, and the states just give up their power? Are we going to hold our then people accountable, or are we just going to continue going on? Then, a question which everyone hates. What are you responsible for? We spoke about this when we talked about government, that everyone wants to talk about their rights. Hey, I have a right to free speech. I have a right to contraception. I have a right to health care. What are you responsible for? We spoke about this in the Declaration of Independence, where not once but twice it says it's the right of the people to alter and abolish their government, but to institute new government. That speaks about their duty under absolute despotism. It is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. What is your responsibility? What do you have to do? I don't know what the answer to this is, by the way, because it will be different for everyone. Everyone has a role to pay, to play. You want to know what my responsibility is? My responsibility is the same thing it's always been. It's to testify to your greatness. And to explain why I love America so much. Because here's a newsflash. As much as I love George Washington, you hear me talk about George Washington being the greatest person. You never really hear me say about George Washington the president. It's George Washington the man. My responsibility is to highlight the principles of your country that I love, that I believe changed your nation. And to help inspire you. Because your history is amazing. It doesn't need to be embellished. It doesn't need to be made cool. It doesn't need to be made hip. It's incredible. It's an incredible story. In fact, it's so incredible that if someone actually wrote your history and went to Hollywood and say, hey, I've got this great story. You should make this a Hollywood blockbuster. They would read it and go, really? 
Oh yeah, yeah, ah, oh, yeah. I get it. The, you know, the the people with the pitchforks and and the knives and a few of them had guns is going to beat the superpower of the army of the day. Yeah, get real. People won't buy it. People will look at this and go, "This would never happen." Yet that is your history. That is amazing. It just so happened that oh, the worst winter happened at just the right time. That the lake just happened to freeze just at the right time. That will never happen. That that so wouldn't re- it happened. That is your history. Your history doesn't need to be embellished. It's amazing. It's inspiring. And I know one of the criticisms my friends get from the left, I I get from my friends on the left going, oh, you're always looking backwards, John. Why don't you ever look forward? Because history, while it doesn't repeat itself, it sure as hell rhymes. And what we're seeing right now is we can, a rhyming of history where you're no longer talking about nature's law, you're talking about man's law and what's popular and about winning. This is not an American thing. This is a problem the whole world has always had. I don't look back to romanticize the founding fathers. I look back at history so I can learn from it and go, what did they do? How did they act? And was it good or bad? And if it was good, we can follow it. If it was bad, we can learn from their mistakes like your founding fathers did. Your founding fathers, when they wrote the Declaration of Independence, when they were writing the Constitution, they didn't go, hey, what sounds good and what should we do? They looked back, they studied ancient Greece, they studied Rome. Why did those civilizations, which were considered great at the time, fail? And what can we do to improve upon it? They even looked at the king and said, hey, what do we not like about the king? So that when we get independence, when we start running and controlling our country and as the United States of America, what can we do to ensure the people never uprise against us? What rights can we protect? Hey, you know what? Let's not have general warrants. Okay, great. Let's have that. Let's have the Fourth Amendment. Hey, let's not control speech and silence people. Great. Let's have the First Amendment. And when things get really bad, let's have people who can defend themselves. Let's allow them the right to bear arms. Great. That's the Second Amendment. Hey, you know what? Let's have a fair trial. Let's be innocent until proven guilty. Okay, that's the Fifth and the Sixth Amendment. Your founding fathers look back on history, not to to say, hey, romanticize it, but to learn from their mistakes. Say, hey, what can we take and improve upon it? Let us look at your founding fathers and take what they did and make it better. Then it's how you fight. This is lesson six. So many people today are wanting and are in the fight, quote unquote. They're in politics. They're in the, hey, I want to destroy you. If you look on social media for five minutes, you'll see hatred and bombs going from either side. You know, you have the right saying things about the left. Oh, they're only a bunch of commies and hippies. You got the, the rockets from the left going, oh, they're only a bunch of white supremacists and Nazis. What did your founding fathers do? And I would ask you as I read this, and I'm going to quote from your Declaration of Independence, ask yourself truly, whether people have a genuine gripe or not, how many people have done this? And I quote, In each stage of our oppressions, we have petitioned for redress in the most humblest of terms. Our repeated petitions have been answered only by repeated injury. A prince whose charter is thus marked by every act which may define a tyrant is unfit to be ruler of a free people. I want to ask you two questions. How many times have people today, whether they have an actual gripe or a perceived gripe, have sought redress in humble terms? Or has it all been about, hey, look at me, I'm going to get you. I'm going to fight you. I'm going to beat you up. I'm going to punch you back. Or is it about humility? 
The greatest changes have happened in your time, in your country, not by anger, but by humility. I look at people like the Reverend Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. Why did one win and one lose? Because while one was talking about, hey, get whitey, he's to blame, i.e. Malcolm X. Martin Luther King was walking across a bridge arm in arm. How could you hate that? He was seeking redress, and rightfully so, in humble terms. He spoke to your people. Your people have always been a humble people. You come from humble backgrounds. You escaped a religious persecution in England. That is ingrained in who your people are. Your people are kind, decent, humble, honest people, noble people. Look into politics today. Does that encourage nobility? Does that encourage humility? Or does it encourage anger, hate, division? Get them. They're the problem. They're the problem with today. Seventh issue. Seventh thing we can learn is understand why things are important in society. You want to talk about your founders been dumb? Well, they clearly weren't because of the Declaration of Independence. Look at how they signed off the Declaration of Independence. We pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Well, we knew life was important to them because they said it was the first right from God in the start of the Declaration of Independence. We knew fortunes was important to them because, as I said in previous shows, these 56 people who signed the Declaration of Independence were the bourgeoisie, were the capitalists. They did have a lot of power and money. So clearly fortunes was important to them. They also, in the first writing of the Declaration of Independence, before there was a pursuit of happiness, they said you have a right to property. They changed it because of slavery. They So clearly fortunes was important. But why did they say honor was sacred? Why was honor so much needed that it needed that oomph? Honor is sacred. Because it's true. Because here we are 240 years later and an Irishman is talking to you about honor being sacred. I was talking to you about how these men and women, while they're imperfect, while they're sinners, if I may use religious language, came together and put all the egos aside and created perfect documents, which I believe are the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. All that was cast aside. But you want to know also how else, and I can prove this by your culture, honor is sacred. There's a saying out there, don't be a Benedict Arnold. Go research the story of Benedict Arnold. Why was that a saying? Because he was for you. He was one of the great patriots for America prior to turning on you. That is ingrained in your culture, acting with honor. How many people today, and even forget the politics, forget the media, because it's always easy to pick on them. Because what politician acts with honor today? What media outlet acts with honor today? It's a very short list if it is anybody on that list. But just, it's easy to pick on them. Let's look inwardly. What are you responsible for? Where where do you act with honor? How many times today do you see people, well, if it just got me an extra 50 bucks, I'd screw someone. Or I'd just take something off the street. If there was $20 lying outside the, the sidewalk, would you try and hand it in and, and see it's find its rightful owner? Or would you just take it? Go, happy days, finders, keepers, losers, weepers. How many people act with honor? And lastly, we spoke about nature's law and nature's God. How many people today understand the role of God, whether it's a Christian God or any other God, and how they deal with him? So many people today, and I find this, and it's one of my biggest disagreements with Christians, I'll call out my own side all the time. It makes me very popular. 
who actually believe it's their job or God's job to be on their side. The amount of times, the amount of times Christians come to God's on my side, I'm like, is it God's job to be on your side? God is the supreme being, the creator of everything in this world, and it's his job to be on your side? Whose job is it to be on whose side? Nature's law and nature's God. There's a great story from the Civil War where, the, you know, there's a lot of back, back and forth between, you know, the, the Yankees. Yeah, go Yankees! Yeah, that's always gets hate from you, I know. Yeah, bring it on. Send me a message. Yankees suck. I got it. I got it. Yankees are ruled. 27 times world champions. Soon to be 28. But there's a great story where the Yankees and the Confederates are fighting, and there's a lot of skirmishes and all that stalemates. You know, Yankees win some, the Confederates win some, and Lincoln is going crazy, and he's like, what do we need to do? So he calls a, a great meeting of his cabinet, and they make the new plans of what we're going to do, and it gets up, and the general gets up, and he says... I think we have the plan to win this war, Mr. Mr. President. All we need now is God to be on our side. And Lincoln famously corrects him, Sir, I worry not about being on God's, or God being on our side, because God is always perfect. I worry about us being on God's side. What is the role? It's not God's job or your creator's job to be on your side. It's our job to be on his side. And as they signed off the Declaration of Independence, and I want to quote, We therefore, the representatives of the United States of America in General Congress, assemble, appealing to the Supreme Judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions, due in the name and by authority of the good people of these con colonies, sol solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies and of the right ought to be free and independent. How many people ask and appeal to the Supreme Judge to be on their side? How many people understand it is their job to be on God's side? There's a reason why it's divine providence. You're asking him to help you by acting with noble intentions. It's us, our job to be on his side, not the other way around. It's why nature's law and nature's God is so critical. This is what your Declaration of Independence did. It tried to bring the laws of man inconsistent and be consistent with the laws of god prior to it it was all about hey i'm king i'm queen i'm monarch i'm a dictator i don't care whether my laws are consistent your declaration of independence your founders said you know what we need to bring them in line it's why scripture is so true out written throughout the the declaration of independence and your founding documents your founding fathers understood it was up to us to be on God's side, to chart that new course, and look at how he rewarded you. You overcame the odds, and you changed the world forever. That is why you are exceptional. That is why your country is unique. And I believe while you do have many problems, and we discuss them each and every week on this show, you have problems with the politics, you have problems with Congress, you have problems with Article 2, you have problems with the Constitution being violated, you have problems with the economics, you have problems with your people. You have many problems today. But guess what? I believe there is not one problem you face that cannot be solved by us looking back at history and taking what your founding fathers created and looking forward and making it a better tomorrow. Because I am still hopeful for your future. I am hopeful if you start learning and understanding why you're exceptional and start following those rules. And yes, sometimes that will involve you losing. Sometimes it will involve you losing personally and maybe as a family. But for a better tomorrow... 
You're willing to make that sacrifice for your kids, for your grandkids, for future generations. If we all work together, we can have that future. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Please subscribe to the show. We release a new show every Saturday at 12 noon Eastern. It's a weekly show. It's less than an hour. We talk about principles, not about parties. We talk about the news of the day. Please subscribe. We're on free, ad for free. We're free costs on all major platforms. SoundCloud, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Stitcher, OmniFM, Spotify, CastBox. You name it, we're there, baby. We're there each and every week, Saturday, 12 noon Eastern. Also get in touch with me. I'm on Twitter, Freedom Disciple. I'm on Facebook, Jonathan Dunn 58. Get in touch. I love engaging with you. This has been an amazing week. And I hope if I have done my job, you love your nation that bit more. Have a beautiful and blessed Independence Week. And on this Friday, we finish the show we do each and every week by saluting those in society who risk it all. Your police, your firefighters, your emergency personnel, and your vets. And most importantly, I salute you, the great American people. Never, ever forget the secret sauce is America is great because Americans are good. America is great because Americans are good. Until next Saturday at 12 noon Eastern, you all have a beautiful and blessed Independence Day. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network.